Good morning, church family. I hope you're all having a marvelous week. We miss you. Um, We're praying for you. Uh, We've been uh, meeting with our deacons this week and going over how best to communicate our families. And speaking of deacons, we're taking a little bit of a shift this morning uh, and changing directions for uh, the next three or four weeks as we start a new series. So we won't be in 1 Thessalonians uh, this morning. Before we get into the sermon, though, I did want to make just one uh, quick announcement. We are doing Operation Christmas Child this year. Um, we've got boxes information uh, over here at the Connect table. Um, we should have something maybe possibly up on the website about that or a link that you can go to. But always, uh, if you want, uh, ask us or send us messages or someone connected to the church. Uh, we'll make sure that you get information if you would want to do something like that this year. We can make sure um, that we can get that available to you. Again, if, if you have any questions, you can contact Pastor Justin, myself, uh, Miss Dawn Kilpatrick, Miss Becky Saltford, and we would love to get you involved. Okay, uh, before we dive into our sermon this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy to us. We thank you for your word and its sufficiency. Lord, as we uh, begin this new series, we pray for much grace. Lord, I pray Uh, For grace for myself, as this is not in any way, shape, or form how I'm used to preaching, Uh, and yet we know that this is vitally important that we understand what's before us. And so, Father, help us, direct us, um, use this in our lives to sanctify us, to grow us as a body unto your Son's likeness, and uh, we trust you with everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you look at your notes, if you've gone to this week at Gray Gables, if you've seen that online and you're looking at your notes, you'll notice that today's sermon is entitled, Polity, Understanding Church Structure, Part 1, Deacons. You may read that and instantly think about turning off your computer or your device at this time and going to visit another church's online service. And I confess that one of those words that's in our title isn't even very well known, that word polity. I remember at many times in my life trying to sound sound intellectual, which I fell at frequently, and uh, someone asking me, what is that word that you use? What does that word polity mean? I had heard it around churches before being used on several occasions, and it's always a difficult pill to swallow, church family, when you use a word in a sentence and someone asks you, to define it. You have two choices. You can try your best to talk in circles and make no sense, or you can confess that you are a fool. Well, regardless, the definition of that word, which I now know, by the way, is polity is this. It's the organization created for managing affairs, especially public affairs like government. That's what polity is. It's management. It's organization, it's structures of government, it's authority. And our question this morning and throughout this series, Lord willing, is our questions about how we should structure our church. Those questions that we have about church polity, now that we know what that word means, are our questions about how we should structure our church dealt with in the scriptures. And if so, what then does the scriptures teach about it? Of course, we Christians believe very much in what we would call the sufficiency of scripture. 
That is that God has revealed everything that we need to know in order to know him, in order to approach him and to love him and to grow in grace. We certainly believe that God teaches us everything we need to know in the scriptures for things like preaching or discipling someone for our spirituality, for our joy in following Christ, for our church growth, for our evangelism. I could go on and on. But we might as well ask the question, is Scripture even meant to teach us how to organize our lives together as Christians in churches? Or are we simply left to our own investigation, our best practices? Is our church polity, is it a matter of indifference, a matter to simply be treated what we would call pragmatically by just thinking whatever we think would work best is what we should do? Well, in fact, I believe that God has revealed everything that we need to know in his word about how to love and serve him, and that includes what we need to know about what may seem very mundane a matter as the organization of our churches. Now, this has been the assumption of of Baptists, of Congregationalists, Presbyterians in years past. It has been assumed by the men of God that has uh, filled our pulpits, and it seems to be there on the pages of the New Testament. Now, I want to be clear. I don't mean that we can just begin in our practices and then find ways that justify those practices as we look at the Bible. But I mean that when we look at the Bible and looking at God's word, what we find is we find basic aspects and structures of the church that should be present in our church. So as you turn throughout the pages of the New Testament, you find that there are clear times of meeting together, the assembly of the brethren. You find that there were elections in the churches. You find that there were officers. You find church discipline practices. You find that there were contributions like the one we're taking for our roof project. You find letters of commendation coming with someone when they move from that city to another place, commending them to another church. And of course, you see things like administration of the ordinances, qualifications for membership even. God in his word also gives clear direction, I think, about the structure of a church's life together. And it's wonderful that he does that in his word for us. It's wonderful because we can be certain That God's word is meant to regulate our lives together even in our organization of our churches. So that frees us from from whatever the latest tyranny or fad that comes through and tells us what we have to do. See, the problem is some pastors today feel that, uh, for instance, you have to have certain things that you may have. That you have to have, uh, you must have things like choirs in the church. You must have media ministries in the church, pastors over your media ministries. You must have committees in the church. And, and it comes seemingly even more important than the public preaching of the word or membership if we can't think of anything more creative to do. But church family, when, when you study God's word, it begins to realign your thinking. We find that there are some clear parameters, though there's some flexibility within that. So we learned that we must have preaching, we must have membership, and that we may have choirs and committees and media ministries. Uh, John L. Dagg said this, he said, 
Church, church order and the ceremonials of religion are less important than a new heart. And in the view of some, any laborious investigation of questions respecting them may appear to be needless and unprofitable. But we know from the Holy Scriptures that Christ gave commands on these subjects and we cannot refuse to obey. Love prompts our obedience and love prompts also the search which may be necessary to ascertain his will. Let us therefore prosecute the investigations which are before us with a fervent prayer that the Holy Spirit who guides into all truth may assist us to learn the will of him who we supremely love and adore. Well, with that prayer that Dag wrote at the beginning of his book, it's uh, my prayer for us, as we study this together for the next couple of weeks, uh, I want to consider a few central aspects of church polity. Uh, really, so many questions could be answered, uh, but I simply just want to run through what the scriptures teach us about the four most basic components of our church polity. So this is where we'll be for the next couple of weeks. And I, I really do pray that you find this topical series very unusual for us here at First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. If, if this is your first time tuning in with us, this is not how our preaching is usually done. On Sunday morning, we are quite committed to expositional, expository preaching, line by line, verse by verse. In fact, on our website, you can find how we've been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians for many, many weeks now. But I do hope that you still find this series useful and it'll stimulate you to greater faithfulness in our church or whatever church God may call you to serve in. Uh, and before I go any further, I do want to say that a lot of this information, a lot of the outlines is, uh, is being reproduced by a book that is special to my heart, a book called A Display of God's Glory by Mark Dever at, uh, at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. And I am indebted to him for helping us as a congregation think through our church polity. He has uh, influenced many churches in our nation and certainly has been a tremendous influence uh, throughout, uh, throughout the many years at First Baptist Church of Gray Gables um, that we have uh, implemented some of his models uh, that are implemented in the scriptures. So first this morning, we want to look at deacons. Uh, we'll mainly be in two New Testament texts. You can open those up if you'd like already in Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy 3 towards the end. And so we're going to look at the office this morning of deacons. And if you're tuning in, remember at the end of this service on Sunday morning, we will actually be ordaining two of our new deacons, Brother Charles Zoller and Phil Hatcher, which is why we're starting with deacons. First, let's look at the idea of deacon defined. Deacon defined. A provision in the New Testament is clearly made for deacons. Now I have to say uh, that the New Testament world was, was pretty similar to the way our own world looks and the way it viewed servanthood. Service to others was, was not admired by the ancient Greeks at all in the world in the first century they inhabited. Instead, they primarily admired things like developing one's own character and personality, always with an eye towards self-respect or self-esteem. How other people would see you was what's most important to them diaconal service to them, deacon service, or any kind of service to other people personally would be well described by the word we have in English today, servile, lesser, beneath, uh, lower. 
that's how they viewed it. But when you come to the Bible, what's so amazing about the scriptures is you find an attitude about service that is very, very different from the world in which it was written. The Old Testament view of this is fascinating, and I wish we had time to dive into that. I would encourage you to study that on your own time. Uh, But I need to move us on to the New Testament, and particularly to look through and see how this word, diakonos, which is the Greek, uh, is where we get our word deacon in English, how this word is translated in the New Testament. Sometimes the word is translated as servant. Sometimes it's minister. Sometimes it's just transliterated as deacon. That's where we get the word from. It can mean service in general, and it very often does, but it also even refer to those who rule in government. They are called deacons. It can refer to caring for physical means. Angels do it. It sometimes refers to the old root word of the meaning, waiting on tables is actually the root word of the meaning diakonos. This kind of service was, again, despised by the Greeks in their culture. But when you read the Gospels and you hear the teachings of Jesus, you're struck by the way that Jesus regards the service so differently than the world around him. Look at a couple texts with me. John chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus said this. He says, if anyone serves, if anyone deacons me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant, there my deacon will, also, will be also. If anyone serves, if anyone deacons me, him my father will honor. Again, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus said this. He said, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your deacon, your servant. In chapter 23 of Matthew, verse 11, he says, but he who is greatest among you shall be your deacon, your servant. So it's not surprising that Jesus presents himself even as a type of deacon. Christians are presented as being deacons of Christ in his gospel. That's how the apostles are described. That is regularly how Paul referred to himself and those people that worked with him. He especially referred to himself as a deacon when he was among the Gentiles, which remember he was specially called to serve and minister to in bringing the gospel. He referred to himself as a deacon of Christ's gospel among them. Paul calls Timothy a deacon of Christ. Peter says the Old Testament prophets are deacons to us as Christians. Satan even has his deacons. You see in the page of the New Testament, those who serve Satan and serve sin are considered his deacons. Well, it's in Acts chapter 6 that you find the division of the physical and spiritual deacon that we'll be looking at in just a moment. The first seven verses of Acts 6, it's where we find a deacon divided being traditional deacon, that is table waiting service, and the kind of deaconing of the word that the apostles were called to. The physical deacons are described here. They're very much the church's waiters, you could say, at least in an administrative sense. A deaconing, uh, establishing a group within this particular group is important so that these two types of deaconing, the service of the word and the service of tables, aren't confused. Because in being confused, one of them often gets lost. So it's very important that we understand this and be separated. That's one reason why we should separate deacons of the word, which we would refer to as elders. We're going to look at next week as and and physical deacons, deacons uh, who wait tables, who serve in administrative sense, which we're looking at this morning. 
Also, I think it's important before we dive into Acts 6 that we notice that the deacons didn't do all the deaconing. The servants didn't do all the servanting themselves. It seems they organized to make sure it would be done, but they could not possibly to go to all of the people who are in need in the church as large as that church had become. So before we dive into the text, I just also want to give you a little bit of historical background so that you know what happened to the page of the New Testament uh, till now, uh, as we certainly will carefully then look at the New Testament. Uh, How did we get to our understanding of deacon in the practice of the church today? Because sometimes I may have been to a couple churches where the deacons certainly don't serve as just servants, they're leaders and, and, and decision makers in this particular way. Well, immediately after the New Testament period, from what we can tell, uh, the separate offices of elder, which again we're going to look at next week, and deacon, they continued. Uh, in the early church days of the church, the deacon's responsibilities might have included things like reading the scripture in the assembly, uh, receiving and distributing the offerings, Keeping records of who gave what. Yes, even in the second and third centuries, they were keeping records. That would be a pretty good summary from what I tell of the responsibilities of deacons all the way through what we see in the second to the sixth centuries. Ironically, as the deacon roles developed throughout the years, they became the treasurers of the church and they themselves even made money doing it. They actually became fairly wealthy at times. And so there began to be a great abuse of the deacons, or as they began to be called in that time, the deans. That's what they were referred to throughout the medieval period in Europe, deans. When we look at the Eastern Orthodox Church, they kept deacons separate. They were laymen who served in that capacity. But in Western Europe, by the late Middle Ages, being a deacon was merely becoming now a step in order to become a priest. That's what we would call an elder. Well, that's where we say we praise God for Martin Luther. Martin Luther recovered the church's given responsibility to care physically for the church members, especially for the poor in the church throughout through the deacons. He reformed that as a reformer. And many of the evangelical Protestant, not surprisingly at the time of the Reformation, these churches, this now biblical practice of having deacons separate from the elders was recovered and put back into practice again. So uh, we see in, in the Presbyterian church, deacons were those who administered the alms and cared for the poor and sick. In many old historical Baptist and Congregationalist churches, that too was the pattern. But it's also true that in many Baptist and Congregational churches, more definite spiritual functions began to be assigned to the deacons of the 19th and 20th centuries. So as I said, uh, Acts chapter 6 is our pattern Where we need to go back to the Word and see everything that the Word tells us a deacon should be. This word, diakonos, it appears so many times throughout the New Testament, but in the way we have set up our deacons here at First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, we've taken our cues from the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. It seems to be the clearest time we can find. It's the time where the deacons were first distinguished and set aside from service. So I want us, as we begin to read this in Acts chapter 6, I want us to note three aspects that comprise the ministry of the deacons among us. Let's go ahead and get to the word. I know it seems like a long time since we've gotten to the word, but let's get to the word now together in Acts chapter 6 and see what the word of God 
has to say about the office of deacons. Three aspects that comprise the ministry of the deacons. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7 says this. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Well, let's look now at these three aspects that comprise the ministry of the deacon that we get from Acts chapter 6. First, the first aspect is probably the most obvious. Uh, The ministry of the deacons is the care of physical needs. Part of the ministry of being a deacon is the care of the physical needs of the church. They care for physical needs. Look there at verse 1. You'll notice that some were being neglected during the daily distribution of food. Now, we noted that the basic word, the basic meaning of the word deacon means minister or servant. And it was particularly used of table waiters at the time or various types of service, physical or financial. Well, well, here in our passage in verse 2, you see that the apostles characterized this service as waiting on tables or literally deaconing tables. They were taking care of physical needs. This is the first aspect of the kind of deacon ministry we see presented in the New Testament. Caring for people, especially for other Christians. Most especially for the members of our local congregation. It's important for their physical well-being and their time of need. And as a spiritual well-being for their continued encouragement as a picture, as a reminder, an embodiment of God's care for his church and as a witness to those who are outside the church. You remember what Jesus says, stop me if you've heard this before, in John chapter 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This kind of care for one another will be a powerful testimony to the world around of Christ, uh, of Christ's love. But behind this, there is a responsibility for godly deacons to take care of the physical needs of the church. And so, uh, practically, as we think about this in our life at First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, if you have a physical need that, that you need help with, your responsibility is to go to your deacon. That is their responsibility. It's one of the primary functions and aspects they have in the church. And I know that they're hungry to serve in this way. The men that God has set before us are incredible servants in this way. And sometimes we can throw out language that says things like, if you ever need anything, please let us know. And and yet we feel as if we ask something from that person, it's going to be inconvenience. Uh, Can I just tell you that the men that God has set before us in this church, when they say, if we can do anything for you, please let us know, they are begging, urging you to let them know how they can help your physical needs. 
They love the Lord and they love the church in this particular way. And that's one of the primary aspects we see in the ministry of the deacon body. Uh, But for the body as a whole, there's a second aspect uh, of the kind of deacon ministry we see in Acts chapter 6. Deacon ministry is centered on the unity of the body. Deacon ministry is centered on the unity of the body. This is vitally important. So if you're taking notes on the deacon's ministry to the body, the first is the care for physical needs. The second behind that is the unity of the body. If you look at this passage another way, if you look at this passage, what we would say a little more abstractly, you could ask, okay, in caring for these widows, what really were they doing? What were the deacons doing? They were working to make sure the food distribution was uh, equally distributed, right? It was more equitable, okay. That's true, but why was that important? Why is that significant? Because this physical neglect was causing a spiritual disunity in the body of Christ. Read verse 1 of Acts chapter 6 again with me together. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. One set of Christians was beginning to complain against another set of Christians, and this seems to be what got the attention of the apostles. They were not merely trying to rectify a problem that was uh, showing up in their benevolence ministry in the church. They were trying to stop the church's unity from being broken up, from fracturing along a particularly dangerous line, the cultural lines of division that God himself had already overcome in the church, according to Ephesians 2. So the equivalent in our congregation would be if I notice that there might be certain strains between our older members of our congregation and our younger members of the congregation, between members from up north who were originally what we would call Yankees and, and members from the deep south who are rooted in the deep south, between members who are different cultural backgrounds or even different ethnic backgrounds. If I saw things as the pastor that were already strained in the culture at large that began to be strained by us in this church because of some particular problem that arose, while I would be encouraged to address that particular problem, my larger aim is not simply that the problem just go away, but that the unity of Christ, which is a tremendous testimony of the gospel of Christ, the unity of Christ would be preserved and encouraged and cultivated. That's what the apostles were doing here. These deacons were appointed to head off the disunity in the church. When you go throughout the New Testament and you study the charisma, the the spiritual gifts that God gives his church, you see this, that the point of every spiritual gift of God's church is to build each other up, to encourage one another, to encourage the body of Christ, the local church. Paul says to the Corinthians that God's gifts are for the common good. He says that in 1 Corinthians 12. He exhorts those Christians in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, by saying, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. He says that all must be done in strengthening. I think that as it's as John Calvin said, commenting on that chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, the more anxious a person is to devote himself to upbuilding, the more highly Paul wishes him to be regarded. So Peter wrote in 1 
Peter chapter 4, each should use whatever gift he has received to serve others administering God's grace. So this kind of edifying, this kind of unifying of the church is especially the ministry of the deacons as we see here, I think, in Acts chapter 6. So therefore, an implication, an application for us that we have to have is we cannot have people serve us well as deacons who are unhappy with the church. People who are unhappy with the church are not people we should look at to serve us as deacons. They are the last people who can serve well as deacons. The deacons are not those in the church who are complaining the loudest or jarring the church with their actions and attitudes. It's quite the opposite. The deacons in the New Testament are to be the mufflers, the shock absorbers. The deacons are the very ones to be the uniters, not the dividers. Unificators, if you will. I don't think that's a word, but I'm throwing it in there anyways. So among those who would serve a church as a deacon, there can't be any amount of of narrow or small-mindedness. Such members also cannot be given to what we would call turfness, which means caring about their area, their rights, their prerogatives, or even resenting service by others who would come up as interlopers into their sphere, who would invade their dominion of service. That's the exact opposite of the kind of mindset we look for, that we desire, that we long to cultivate of someone who would serve us as a deacon. Our deacons are not set apart to advocate their cause or argue for their corners like their representatives or lobbyists. Instead, they are to come exactly on behalf of the whole to serve particular needs so that they will bless the whole with a sense of the whole in mind, a mindset towards the good of the body, a sense of how what they do in their one particular ministry contributes to the health of the entire body. They're really to be the builders of the church by being servants that help bind us together with cords of kindness, with kind actions encouraged and facilitated for other members and even outsiders. Kind acts of loving service Deacons are to be about the unity of the body. And I can tell you again, as we have vetted this group that's been elected before us, and we walk through this as your elders, Pastor Justin and I, we are sure that these men are about the unity of the body. And I can tell you, as a pastor in four and a half years now of being a pastor of this church, uh, our deacons have always been about the unity of the body. There's been no backbiting, there's been no, uh, no, no, no tattling, no outside sources coming in and, and, and working against each other. We have been united, and I can't tell you what a gift from the Lord that those men are in these particular uh, offices. So I praise God for that. But yet, uh, as we come around each year and elect new deacons and we're looking to see who has these gifts, we must look for those who are happy in the church, who are unifying the church with their actions and their attitudes. This brings us to the third ministry we're to understand the deacons from Acts chapter 6. And I think it's to be understood, if I could best put it this way, of the support of the ministry of the word. Deacon ministry supports the ministry of the word. So you've got physical care, unity of the body, and the third thing would be really the support of the ministry. See, it's still another level. These men were appointed specifically to support the ministry of the apostles. If you look in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, as I read it anyway, the apostles seemed to acknowledge that there was a responsibility that the church, and therefore, in some sense, uh, themselves, had to see that the food was distributed equally. 
But it said in Acts 6.3 that they would turn this responsibility over to another group within the church. In that sense, the deacons were not only helping the body as a whole, even though they were, but by taking on this ministry, they were especially and particularly helping to support these apostles who were serving as the elders of this church in Jerusalem, whose main task laid elsewhere whose main task was seen as the ministry of the word and prayer. So the deacons were not a separate power block in the church. They were not a second house of legislature, if we're using American government language, though which bills need to be passed. They were servants who served the church as a whole by helping with the responsibilities so that the main teachers uh, could preach the word and devote themselves to prayer. That these main teachers did not have the opportunity to perform. And so by their taking on this ministry, their work supported the teachers of the word in their ministry. They were fundamentally encouragers, supporters to the ministry of the elders. Now, if this is the case, then again, your most supportive people should be the ones who serve the church best as the deacons. We are looking particularly for gifts of encouragement so that more, not fewer people will be blessed by their service. And here at First Baptist Church of Greg Gables, we are committed to making our deacons not a deliberative body, but those who implement and understand and put to work what it means to be a church member and what we're portraying as our worship, grow, serve formula. What we hope and pray is that each one who serves us as a deacon will help unify us among those particular understandings of ministry, helping individuals, helping the body, glorifying God in all of it, displaying what it looks like to worship, grow, and serve. It's why we encourage our deacons to be faithful in worship, to be faithful in growing in Sunday school and in our Wednesday grow service, and to be faithful in serving primarily so that others can worship and grow. We encourage them to have ministry of hospitality, of communication, and discipleship. We encourage them to get to know the entire body and seeing how they can serve each individual to unify our ministry as a whole. We recognize that this service that they perform for us, that is a costly service. They need to understand this in some sense as their main ministry while they serve in this position. And we are so thankful that so many of you are willing to serve us in this way. It's such a blessing to have the servants that we have who as they serve are also developing and aiming to develop hearts of service in other brothers and sisters who are always seeking to reproduce the body of Christ in this way by training them to see the role of this or that particular ministry. Not just for their individual ministry, but how that acts upon building the church as a whole. What a wonderful discipling process as we begin to encourage looking at worship, grow, serve, and how to reproduce Christians in this way. What a wonderful way for people to be able to grow and and be disciples of Christ and make disciples. So through their activity and their creativity, our our deacons will bless the church far longer than they even hold the office. They continue to serve in this way as church members, as their aim is making disciples and leading by example for the glory of God in our church. 
So those are the ministry aspects of a deacon. I, I want to there kind of read now the qualifications of deacon. I'm not going to spend too much time on these qualifications because next week we're going to look a little bit more in depth about the qualifications um, uh, for elders because the qualifications for deacons and the qualifications of our elders are fairly similar. They're actually very similar uh, with one particular distinction. But I want to read these qualifications uh, of deacons because we always, every year, want to encourage you when you're looking for people that you believe God's leading in this particular office that you read this and hold them accountable up to these particular standards. So go ahead and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, as he's serving as the, uh, the main teaching pastor in Ephesus. And in just a few verses in chapter 3, verse 8, he tells Timothy what these deacons should be like. Let's read this together in verses 8 through 13. Paul says, likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, and then, and let them, uh, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In summary about the office of deacons, the New Testament would seemingly bring together these three aspects that we noted in ministry from Acts chapter 6. Care for physical needs, the, the desire, the centrality of uniting the body under the ministry of the word. Deacons are to support the ministry, unite the body, and care for the needy. They're to be encouragers, peacemakers, and servants. And now, I, I, in service, I want you to know we're going to stand and recognize our deacons. I know this is hard to do kind of virtually, but I just want to list out our deacons for you. And I want to do this because our main application for this morning's service, especially in our online service, is to pray for these things for our deacons. We would first pray for each and every one of them that they would uphold this office with honor in performing these particular tasks, caring for the physical needs of the body, uniting the church and supporting the ministry of the word, that we would pray for them by name often as the church. And that also, when it comes time next year for us to elect new deacons, as some of them roll off this year and most of them will stay on, that we are looking for these particular characteristics. So I would just want to list their names um, and I'm going to ask them to stand in service, but you can pretend that they're standing if we're online and just envision that. Uh, our deacons are these men, Brad Braddock, um, Bob Burgess, Bill Huffstetler, Danny McMillan, uh, Burton Scaff, Travis Tyson, and then the two we or are ordaining on Sunday, Brother Phil Hatcher and Charles Zoller. And I just want to say, as I'll say publicly on Sunday, I want to thank these brothers um, and I thank God for these brothers. I'm so glad that we have the deacons that we have who are willing to give their time to do the works that they, they have already done. They are really a brilliant, gifted group of people. And, and I think um, that I, I will just end with some words from Diedrich Bonhoeffer here who said this. He said, the church does not need brilliant personalities, but faithful servants of Jesus and the brethren. That is what our deacons are to us. 
um, the hours they give, the prayers they give, the time you spend with other people, and I am tremendously thankful for them. You know, we're coming off of Pastor Appreciation Month. There's no such thing, unfortunately, as a Deacon Appreciation Month. However, I, I just pray, church, that you would show appreciation for the men that God has set before you. They're, they're imperfect men, um, but they are men who, who we're aligning and charging with this particular area, and I can't wait to see what God does in their ministry throughout this year. Church family, let's go to the Lord and ask the Lord's blessing upon uh, our understanding of his word today. Father, we do thank you. Lord, I know that this sermon and the sermon series is going to be a little bit different from what we're used to, and yet it's so vital for us, Lord, as, as especially in the midst of the month of November when, when our state government is, is going crazy and, and everything's in chaos, that we make sure we're using our polity right and our polity um, that is, uh, is orchestrated and centered around the principles we find in your word. And so, Lord, we pray your blessings over our deacons. We pray your blessings over their families. We pray that you would charge them and charge them well to care for the physical needs of the body, to unite the church and to support the ministry of the word. And I'm thankful for those who have served in this way throughout the many years of Gray Gables who have done this very thing. Lord, help us in getting, gaining wisdom from this and application from this that we would uh, better appreciate and pray for our deacons on a continual basis. We would encourage them and support them in their ministry knowing that it's costly. And would you be glorified in all things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, church family. Make sure you tune in next week. Next week, we are going to look at elders. And we're using that word elders for a particular reason. Elders are similar to pastors. It's, a, it's the same word. We have two elders right now, Brother Justin and myself. Uh, but this is something we've had on our hearts for a really long time, introducing an idea of elders and raising up actual elders from within our church to serve us. And so please tune in. Next week is also vitally important, and I'm thankful for each and every one of you. As always, if we can do anything for you, you know how to reach us. Please contact us and let us know. We love you, church family. God bless you.